0: To be a podcast. Hello listeners, I'm Zach, and
1: I'm Valina, and we're
0: just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant To Be A Podcast. We're going to cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And today, we will be continuing Tales From The Dark Side with the episode Slippage.
1: This episode stars David Patrick Kelly as Richard Hall, who's the main character, Philip Kasnoff as Chris Wood, uh, the friend of the main character, and Carrie Armstrong as Elaine Hall, who's the wife of the main character. And you might know David Patrick Kelly as, well, in more modern times, Charlie from John Wick 1 and 2, who was the guy that basically cleans up all the bodies after John Wick has made a mountain of them, Tommy Ray in Dreamscape, Jerry Horn in Twin Peaks and Luther in The Warriors. And this episode was based on a short story uh, of the same name by Michael McDowell. He also does the writing for other episodes in this series. The one I can think of off the top of my head being Answer Me, which is in this season. So, Zaki, tell me, what is Slippage about?
0: Oh boy. <laughs> Our episode opens on a face in a mirror, and it is one of those mirrors that's zoomed in a little bit. So we have this whole mirror to look at this face.
1: It's basically one of those makeup mirrors it that's, is. <laughs> that's like big on one side and normal on the other side.
0: And we see him checking himself out in the mirror, right? We don't know who this is yet. We can assume it's our main character, but we have no confirmation yet. And then we hear a voice, which belongs to this man, of which, whose face looks like he has that voice. (laughs) If you if you see him in the episode, this is, like, the perfect ridiculous voice for the type of character he looks like. So he's this, like, balding dude. He's their boss. There's this overweight Mr. Blake. He's got this kind of like almost comb over type of thing and these thick rimmed glasses and a kind of round face. And he's just like, Oh, busy at work, I see. And and (laughs) hey, this freaks out this main character guy who we don't know who he is yet. And he's like, Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm working, sir. And so he tells him that, oh, you know, us artist types, you have a hard time uh, getting focused in the morning. like, oh, really? You, uh, I was looking through your paychecks and I can't quite find yours. So immediately we know that he's, he's got a bit of bad luck since he lost his, the boss lost his paycheck, which I think is a huge bit of bad news, but he takes it pretty well, I think, for losing a good, at least a week's worth of work.
1: Yeah. And he doesn't even, he doesn't even make any sort of mention of Finding that check, he just sort of, like, oh man, we lost your check, and then that's oh, well. that it literally leaves it at that. Like, too bad for you. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's like, oh, oh well, it'll it'll show up eventually. I'm sure of it. Well, you better keep uh work on, buddy, because at three o'clock, that's when your thingy is due. You know, we wouldn't, we don't want you to be uh, losing your side of the ball, or keep your eye on the ball, son. We wouldn't want you to. uh We wouldn't want you to think we were slipping now.
1: Just keep your eye on the ball hall. Wouldn't want anyone around here to think you were slipping now, would we?
0: That's it. So, he's kind of slightly bummed at that. I would be upset at that greatly, losing my check. But, you know, he's taking it in stride. So, you know, maybe it wasn't so big for him. So, what happens after that, he talks to one of his buddies and he's like, oh, that's just chump change in comparison to what we're going to be getting at our new job.
1: Commercial graphics.
0: <laughs> and that's that's the job that they work, as some uh, graphic design company. I think they had to design vacuums?
1: Yeah, it looked like they were designing some sort of, like, a air vacuum of some sort. But you only see part of his work. Like, he, you see the actual design of the vacuum and then a acetate overlay that has like the coloring on it so i think they were designing the look of the vacuum Mm -hmm. or at least the ads for it it's kind of hard to tell but he's a graphic designer this is a graphic design company
0: yeah so what they mention with the chump change thing is that this is just a temporary job or i mean it's a permanent job but they're not keeping too close to ties with it because they're trying to get to a better job one that has like oh an office and like a uh, uh, reserved parking and like uh, massage chairs or whatever I don't know what the perks are but it's basically a lot better than what they have currently in this and this sweatshop of a design place. So he tells his friend Chris that we discover our main character's name is uh, is Rich
1: Richard Richard
0: Hall. Hall. And uh, I'll call him Slippy. Uh, no, so, don't call him Slippy. Cause, cause he's slip, because it's Slippage. And no. this is our main character, so it's Slippy. And it'll make it easier to remember. No,
1: it won't. Yes, it
0: will. <laughs> At least for me. So Slippy tells Chris that... Uh, <laughs> tells him that he's still waiting to get the call. And his buddy's like, oh, I, I forgot to tell you. I got the call for this other job. And I just want to wait until you get your call to find out whether or not you're going to get the job and I'm going to celebrate once you have your job.
1: Yeah, and it's really kind of a sweet gesture because they're both clearly excited about this job. They really can't wait for it. And when he mentions, I'll be waiting for that call any time now. The friend gets like kind of sad almost. He's like, oh, I got that call yesterday, but we'll celebrate that together once you get your call. But he is like, clearly disappointed that Richard didn't get his call already. So, mm-hmm. it's kind of a sweet way of showing that they're friends, you know? Yeah. And they're not just co-workers, they're actually friends. Like, they work there together as friends.
0: Mm-hmm. And we find out that they have worked, they have been together for a while. So, they have a, a decently decent friendship. So, he doesn't get his call. So, he picks up, I think it was that he calls his wife? Yes. And... Uh, no, she calls him.
1: No, no, he calls her. Oh,
0: yeah. He call- He calls his wife, and she picks up, and she's just like, oh, hello, my love. Uh, and he's like, uh, what if I was a different man? Uh, would You would be kind of embarrassed if you said that to some other guy, right?
1: He's like, well, there is no other guy, my love. <laughs> Although she has uh, an Australian accent.
0: I thought it was French. Say-
1: no, it was It's Australian. weird. She's an Australian actress, so oh. that, that is an Australian ac- ac- accent.
0: His uh, wife is named Elaine, and he learns that he was talking to her and that she there was some piece of mail that he was supposed to get and didn't arrive yet, and uh, he's bummed out about that. Again, just a little bummed, too, like how he got bummed out about the check, which I think he's underreacting a little bit to both of those, but again.
1: Well, uh... it's just because he's keeping it buried inside for the time being. <laughs> But, you know, she actually urges him, hey, you know what? You call that company. They haven't called you yet. You call them. She actually tells him, you don't want she actually says, you don't want them to forget you now, do you?
0: That's important. Keep <laughs> it in your brain hole.
1: Yeah, given the title of this episode, you know, it's it's kind of a foreshadowing.
0: So he, he hangs up after his wife gives him really, like, I, I know this is a thing couples do. Where they kiss through the phone. But like, can you imagine being on the other side of the phone and hearing that awful, like, telephone crunched, freaking sound effect coming through? It's just like,
1: oh, (laughs) okay, you just did many listeners.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they do. She does that, and so he hangs up.
1: I want to mention because we didn't mention it, and it's probably important. Well, it's not important at all, but it is funny. He calls her, and she's, like, jazzercising or something. There's this weird 80s peppy exercise music in the background, and she's wearing exercising clothes, and she's laying on the ground. And I'm presuming that when she picked up the telephone, she was probably doing that bicycle thingy where you, like, lay on on your back and you bicycle with your legs in the air. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's what I'm getting out of it, but... You know, I've actually
0: done that before. It is a decent workout. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm not saying it isn't, but... It's just an odd thing to introduce her as doing. Yeah. You know, she could have been doing anything, and that was... That was what she was introduced doing, which is just a funny kind of thing. It immediately makes you get this kind of weird vibe from her. particularly Because oh, yeah. she mentions to um, Richard, oh, hello, my love. And she keeps calling him by that pet name, my love. And she also mentions when he slightly suggests, what if there was another man? She's like, no, there isn't any other man. She actually mentions, oh, yeah, because your voice is just so wonderful. You can get any girl to do anything for you. Okay. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it not at all. <laughs> a
0: very weird introduction for a character. Like, not going to lie, this is probably one of the oddest ways to introduce what turns out to be a fairly normal character. Yeah. It's just a bizarre way to do it. Because normally when you introduce a character, you introduce them doing something that is typical for their character. You know? If you have some greedy businessman, you're going to introduce them doing something greedy and businessman-like. With this, it's just like a weird jazzercise and over like w- w- overly affectionate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I don't know. It really depends. But like really highly affectionate and jazzercising to like eighties exercise music, and she doesn't do that for the rest of the episode. Well, I mean, she overly fawns on him, but I mean, she doesn't exercise throughout the rest of the episode, and she calms down as a character quite a bit after well, that.
1: I guess the purpose might be to sort of show her as this kind of quirky, loving character. I mean, I I guess cuz you don't get to see if her the quirks a whole only last for the
0: first half of the episode.
1: Well, true, but she's I mean, she's busy for the rest of the episode like yeah. but it's just a weird introduction that it's, just puts you is she she's really weird. Just makes you think that about her even though she I, isn't necessarily weird. For I the actually
0: rest of the wrote that in my notes. <laughs> she's like, "Oh, she's weird." <laughs> Yeah, so he calls the other company, Commercial Graphics, and she picks up the phone. She's just like, "Ah, oh, Commercial Graphics, how may I help you? And he's like, oh, I'm looking for uh, Mrs. What's-Her-Name? He's like, you're talking to Mrs. What's-Her-Name? And he's like, oh, okay, uh, I was wondering if you got my portfolio. And she's, she tells him, she's like, I, I'm i sorry, but, like, we didn't get a portfolio. Uh, we, we must have lost it. I'm real sorry about that, but, but you know, it'll turn up. And he's like, oh, okay, uh, all right, bye.
1: He actually <laughs> reveals a lot during this phone conversation, though. He mentions, well, for one, he shows a little bit of his anger. Like, how do you lose a giant portfolio But he also mentions, well, well, actually, she also mentions that she did not receive his birth certificate, his college transcripts, and all these other important identifying information. And he mentions, well, my original birth certificate was destroyed a while ago, but you should be getting a copy of it any day now. And there's other things I also sent forever ago. And she mentions, well, we don't have them. So it's too bad for you. (laughs) You It's probably why we didn't call you because we don't know who you are. Oh, we didn't get any of your stuff, so he's clearly very shaken by this. And then that's when he hangs up the phone. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, and and this is an important little scene. He looks into the mirror in his on his desk, the one he was looking at for his little doodle that he was doing, which was like a self portrait of himself. Hence, why he was looking into a mirror.
1: He's basically like Squidward. He like <laughs> only draws himself through this entire episode.
0: Yes, I don't think he's ever designed a vacuum.
1: Nope, he put his face on the vacuum. <laughs> and it vacuums in his own voice
0: <laughs> but uh he looks into the mirror on his desk and he looks at his work and he's just like oh. thin air and then it, it transitions the Vacuum. thin air <laughs> <laughs> like the vacuum. But I think he's also referring to himself and all the identifying, like, documents. Like, all this just went up yeah. into thin air, right? I, I went up in flames. Into, vanished, into vanished into thin, into thin air. air. <laughs> it just went up in thin air. You know, vanished in flames. What?
1: <laughs> How dare you?
0: So, what ends up happening later on is he comes back home and his uh, his wife is getting dressed up and... He's like, oh, like you're, you're looking good tonight. And he makes, like, some weird comment about her being art, but kind of, like, in a weird way that doesn't lead into it yeah, initially.
1: It, it, it's like he's an art critic judging it. Yeah. You know, which, like...
0: He's like, oh, there's uh, beautiful curves and no cracks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and beautiful brush strokes. But... uh if there's only one, there's only one way to tell if this is fine art or somebody that I'm looking at. Uh, I have to kiss it. <laughs> no joke. He's like, I have to kiss it to make sure it's not fine art. Just imagine, just imagine doing the same thing with like a Mona Lisa. Just like, oh yeah, this is a a beautiful painting. I'm gonna have to kiss it to make sure that it's art.
1: Wait, you don't kiss the Mona Lisa when you see her?
0: Only when I want to get arrested. <laughs> besides that tastes like centuries old oil (laughs) at least I think it's an oil painting I don't know but that's besides the point so they kiss and surprise she's not art (laughs) and he basically tells her that they lost all of his stuff They, they just lost it you know just like if he had like a folder about his own personal data on his computer somebody just deleted it and she's like oh well that's That sucks. Okay, well, why don't you sit down? I'll make you a drink. And I got a movie we're going to watch.
1: Oh, I want to mention something, though. Mm -hmm. Okay, so their house. He walks in (laughs) through the door. (laughs) And the door is, like, next to the corner of the house. So there's a foot away from the Mm -hmm. the wall, which is kind of plain, I guess. But on the other side, opposite the wall, still adjacent to the door, is a little... I don't know how to describe this. It is a little wall, like it comes up to maybe your waist, but you can see from. There's like the
0: banisters. Yes. You you can see from. Like, say, staircases have those little bars.
1: Yeah, there's no staircase there. But on top of this short wall are these sort of fancy bars that go from the top of the small wall all the way to the ceiling. So you can see where someone's coming in through the front door, and you can look into the living room or the kitchen or whatever room was. On the other side of that, you can just see them as they come in, although the rooms are separate. So it's like a fake wall almost. Yeah. Now, on the bars, these decorative, thin, wooden, painted bars is literally their wedding portrait. Just sort of hanging on there without a frame. It is the Well, I think it's one of
0: those thin frames, but... No,
1: it's like it's made out of cardboard. It's an odd kind of a portrait. You can get those. It's not printed on paper. It's like printed on wood or cardboard. But it is just bare without a frame. Like a particle
0: board type thing. Yeah, just
1: hanging on the bars. It is the ugliest spot you could possibly put a picture. I I
0: like to fancy the idea that that had little hooks on the back that you're supposed to hang it on an actual wall, and they just got zip ties (laughs) and, like, hung it to the bars by just tying the zip ties to the bars. The
1: back of that would look so ugly. I... When you come in, that would be the first thing you saw was the back of this portrait. It is... I I can't believe they put it... There was plenty of room on the actual wall. There were plenty of things hanging on all the other walls. They should not have put that there. It looks terrible. That's like the first thing you think of when they get into the house. Is Oh, that's a horrible place for that picture.
0: Mm -hmm. And I want to mention, if anybody has ever seen an episode of Supernatural where they're in a motel... You know what that wall looks like. Hmm. That That is such a frequent feature in that show. Whenever they go to a motel, it has that short little wall and the little bars going up from that little wall. I think it's a common thing in motels. Yeah, that's just a general guide to their house. You don't get a whole lot of memorable scenes of their house. So, or apartment, motel, I don't know. (laughs) It could very
1: well be an apartment, given the weird placement of the door. I feel like if you have an actual house, the doors can be, like, in the middle of a wall, as Mm -hmm. opposed to, like, the the very corner like that. It's not like some sunlight streams in through. I mean, of course, it's a set. I mean, there wouldn't be. But it does feel like an apartment, particularly with that weird wall. Yeah. It's sort of to make the room look bigger, even though it isn't, right? Like, oh, look, there's multiple rooms, when it's really just one big room with these fake little walls cutting them apart. So I think it probably was meant to be an apartment, but...
0: Mm -hmm. And speaking of that painting hideously hanged on the wall, he walks up to it and he discovers something. He discovers a stack of mail, which if you remember earlier, he said that he asked for the mail and she was like, nope, no mail's arrived. But there's mail here. And he was like, uh, what's this? I thought you said the mail didn't come today. She responds with, there wasn't mail when you called, dear.
1: Which is totally, like, It's totally a reasonable (laughs) response to that. It was pretty early in the morning, because when he called her, it was, like, sunny. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it could have been.
0: I mean, uh, mailmen sometimes come, like, later in the afternoon, so it's not... Absolutely unheard of. Jeez,
1: I feel like our mailman came at like six o'clock in like the yeah. <laughs> night sometimes.
0: It's like three to six is it's huge range. So he's sifting through all the mail and he sits down with his wife and she's like, uh, "Let's let's watch your favorite movie because you had a bad day." It's a Wonderful Life, and if y'all know that movie. You've, you've, if you haven't even seen the movie, you've probably seen at least one or two parodies of it.
1: Like the Muppets' It's a Wonderful Life.
0: Oh, that's a Muppets' A Very Merry Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, well, it's still
1: the Muppets version of It's It is it's the Muppets, Muppets version,
0: but it doesn't go by the same title for some reason.
1: Yeah, maybe it's because... No, I don't have a good reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they don't call it that. They call well, it a Muppets Treasure Island. A Muppets Christmas Carol. What can they call it? A Muppets Wonderful Life. I
0: know, right? It's a, it's a it's a wonderful Muppet life. I don't know. It's a
1: Muppet life.
0: <laughs> but if you haven't seen the movie and you somehow haven't seen a parody of it, it's basically about it was about a main character wishing he was never born and discovering what the world would have been like had he never been born and realizing how much of an impact they really did have on the world around them. That's <laughs> important for this episode because of things. And it makes more sense later.
1: Well, it's beginning to make more sense now, considering yeah. the bosses. You wouldn't want people to think you were slipping, now would you? And then his wife saying, "Oh, you wouldn't want people to forget about you, would you?" So there's mm-hmm. already kind of building up to where this guy is already kind of being forgotten about, considering that all of his stuff is disappearing in the mail and all. Yeah.
0: Way. So he sits down and he grabs a newspaper, and she's like, "I don't know why you read that." and he's like oh it's it's a newspaper from my hometown i know you don't care about a place like that but it matters it's so
1: tiny to me. and insignificant yeah like our hometown
0: <laughs> but uh, he opens up the newspaper and he's like oh hey they're having a high school reunion they had it yesterday
1: rejection
0: <laughs> and he's like why didn't they invite me like uh, my my best friend from high school he organized it he didn't think to invite me, so he he goes full Karen, and he gets to the phone, and he starts to complain to the manager, and uh, so he calls his old friend from high school, and his wife picks up. The, the friend's wife picks up, and she's like, hey, who, who is this? And he's like, hi, it's Slippy. Uh, I know there was a high school reunion yesterday, and I wasn't invited. What's up with that? And she's like, who are you? Uh, who?" <laughs> Like, oh you might have heard of me uh, I, I'm just I just so happen to be like your husband's best friend and I taught him how to catch the biggest bass in like all of the world I mean, whatever place it was that he was from but you know that's way cooler <laughs> and she tells him oh okay I'll let him know that you called weirdo and you you went fishing with him? It's odd because me and me and my husband uh he, I just don't think he'd ever fish. It's like hunting, you know. He just doesn't like killing animals or us being vegans and all. And he's like, "Oh, okay. Uh well, tell him I said bye. Okay, kisses." and then he hangs up. <laughs> he's like, "That's odd." So, while he's sitting at the phone, it's on the desk. He discovers that there's a bunch of, like, garbage.
1: More garbage. There's
0: garbage. And uh, he picks it up and he's like, wait, wait. There's, like, a letter from the DMV in here. What, what the heck? You don't throw this stuff away. And I don't remember the excuse she gave for that.
1: She did, actually straight up didn't know. She's like, I, I don't know how they got there. And honestly, she comes off as very legit. Like, he, he gets mad at her a lot in this episode for various things, particularly like that. And she is just as confused as he is, but he's very angry at her. And she's like, I, I have no idea how they caught in there. Like, there wasn't even any mail today. It just was in the garbage. So she's super confused as well.
0: So he picks it up and he opens it up and he reads it and it's a car registration. Uh-oh. You don't, you don't throw those away. So he's like, "Uh, two things. One. Why was this in the trash? <laughs> I get to just throw that away. And second, why is this in your maiden name?
1: Anderson? And
0: also only your name. Uh, I thought we agreed that, like we had the car registered in both of our names. and she's like,, uh, yeah, I, I I thought we did, you know <laughs>
1: And was, the bomb explodes. She's
0: like, oh, yeah, well, you and my best friend were, were friends before I was friends with you, and I, I like you. <laughs> yeah, I like you. I mean, he, he basically is saying that, okay? It's taken, I took a little liberty with the statement, but it's basically the same level of explosion at her.
1: Yeah, he essentially- Y'all working
0: together against me to make me feel like I'm disappearing. What is it, scare tactics? Yeah.
1: are you scared
0: (laughs) he's like i'm gonna go and he just he just leaves
1: but like he really does explode her he gets mad at her for throwing away the car registration for changing the name back to her name putting it in her mating maiden name which she of course throughout this time kind of splutters here and there hey i didn't do that and he's just yelling at yelling at her Oh, you threw the car registration away. You changed your name to the, your maiden name. You put the car the card that I bought in your name and your name only, even though we both had it in our names earlier.
0: And Chris um, was hired by commercial yes, graphics. Yes,
1: he gets mad at her. Oh, you must have already known weeks ago that he had gotten that job, didn't you? And like, She's like he what? just found out. His friend found out yesterday night that he had gotten the job, mm. and he had just told his best friend Rich. Hey, I'll wait for you. I just got that call yesterday. But he's mad at her. Like, he just throws everything in her face. Clearly things that he's been self-conscious about or... uh,
0: I would say self-conscious, yeah.
1: He basically suggests that she must be having an affair with Chris because he's got a better job. And she... He he actually straight up mentions she gave up college. Like, she was in college and then she dropped out so she could marry Richard. And he is, of course... I guess he feels bad about that because he throws that at her. Oh, you gave up that, but he's got the better job. He's the rising star, not me. You must like him more. Also, he was your friend before he was my friend. So you guys knew each other beforehand. So you probably lo- always loved him. And just all this stuff that comes out of absolutely nowhere, considering how she was introduced to absolutely just adore him and all their interactions up until this point, like when she suggests the movie, she's using these cute little pet names like my love, my darling, just she's really fawning over him and she's got such a light voice and such a a very kind of cutesy way of behaving that it's very clear that she loves him mm-hmm. and he just blows up at her and she's so hurt by it she doesn't even say anything to defend herself she says little things but really just takes it from him and it makes me feel so bad for her mm-hmm. you know she clearly does not deserve this but he's had not that I'm trying to defend him being so awful to her, but clearly at work, he didn't say anything and he was really keeping it all in. And now he just loses it at her. He's mm-hmm. you know? just
0: having a breakdown from all of the stuff yeah. that's been happening. And this
1: poor baby, she's just taking all of it and just like letting him do it. So anyhow, what what happens after the small explosion ends?
0: <laughs> so he basically is like, stop messing with my head. And then he leaves.
1: Oh, yeah. He literally thinks that she's plotting with Chris to make it seem like everyone in his life is forgetting him. Mm-hmm. Like like she could somehow make that other company he wanted to work for <laughs> lose his stuff. Like that's a thing that they have control over.
0: <laughs> so he leaves and we find out where he went. It's in the middle of the night and he walks up to this old house. And he walks up and knocks on this back door. And this sweet old lady with some big goggle-like glasses just comes up to the door. Who is it? And he's like, oh, I know it's been a long time, Ma, but I really need to talk to you. And she's like, what? I don't remember having a son. I think a mother would remember having a son. And frick if I know if I had a son. (laughs)
1: And this is the exact moment all of Richard's, everything that he held dear is now broken apart. All those Mm -hmm. little ideas that he'd had about himself, about how he could sort of create this blame towards his wife and his best friend, everything that keeps what's happening to him not really happening to him. It just shatters. His own mother doesn't recognize him. And he essentially gives up in that moment like oh my god this is really happening
0: i'm sorry you must think i'm crazy uh sorry to waste your time like this and And he
1: he calls her mrs hall mrs hall because that's his last name right like he pretends like it was some sort of misunderstanding when that's his own mom and if he was just a stranger how would he know her last name
0: (laughs) so it's a little oversight i think on his part I mean keep in mind too he's he's gone through some stuff right now mm. probably forgot that she wouldn't know that uh, he probably forgot that she wouldn't have told him her last name at this point so he just disappears back into the darkness and she's like okay
1: okay
0: he, she's closing the blinds and she's like I can't wait for him to be gone <laughs>
1: Actually she just looks entertained. Like she's smiling throughout the whole time. Like this is I, I like-
0: swear it looks like she's like, Yeah, yeah, all right. Just please go away. I'm gonna <laughs> smile until these blinds are closed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we have a flash forward after this point. And Chris and Elaine are talking and looking through Slippy's yearbook, and we find out that there was a student who had written some quote. What was it? Uh, Remember thyself to thyself. Yeah. I think that was it. And again, also an important thing for the subject of the episode. Mm -hmm. And they chat a little bit about high school, I think.
1: Yeah, they're actually looking through Richard's um, high school yearbook because, they, as they reveal, three days have passed by and Richard has not come back. But clearly he has talked to them about things that have happened because they are worried sick because Richard has told them that his own mother didn't remember him. He's really upset about his high school friends not remembering him. So they're going through the yearbook trying to find people who would remember him. And it's kind of implied that they're either they or Richard have been making more calls to see if people could remember because they talk about how no one else seems to remember him. So mm-hmm. a lot more investigation has gone on within the three days. Though yeah. it's not clear who's doing it. I, I don't know could if it's just both. Richard or if it's them or, you know, like, yeah. But but Chris
0: them. mentioned something important. He's like, oh, you know, may- maybe his mom is senile. I mean, after all, he left her relatively quickly. He stole him away. Completely So completely That he never saw his mom again For the entirety of the time That you two are married that, So that She is... could have gone Completely senile And forgotten her son
1: That is like, and, you... and her
0: memory May not even be better Than anyone else In his dumpy little town
1: <laughs> Just trash the small towns Jeeves. Ouch Got the tiny little Well filled with water That everyone uses Must be poisoned Or something
0: And no joke That is literally What he calls it As a dumpy little town and she's frustrated, and she's like, "Why? Why would nobody remember him? Like, he's a, he's a cool dude." And uh, he's
1: cool. Why didn't one remember that?
0: <laughs> we learn at this point that he has been missing for three days, and so she she mentions she says like, "Oh, you know, this is, everybody's forgetting about him. and it's beginning to think that we all would have been happier if Rick was never born." Or like, well, something she, along the lines. of She actually of that. says
1: that. She's so worried, sick, uh, and stressed out over this whole situation because he's not come home. She's worried about him. She actually says she ma- it makes her wonder if it would have been better he'd never been born.
0: And K- that catches Chris uh, just completely off guard. And she's like,
1: "Yeah, Chris is like understandably upset by that statement." And of course, she catches herself like, "Oh, geez, I have no idea why I would have even said that."
0: I'm so sorry. Uh, it's just the stress and the just nightmare of all of this where you know just my husband just left me for three days with not and didn't even tell me where he's going like that that's crazy
1: and during this time though I do want to mention that These two are acting really close. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, clearly they were friends from before, but now they're acting a little too cozy. Uh Like if Richard walked in and saw that, he would absolutely think they were maybe having an affair. Oh, yeah. And it would be an absolutely fair assumption. I mean, she's
0: just like, oh, but you're always there for me. And you've you've always been there for me as a friend, but yada, yada. (laughs)
1: yeah even before richard you were always there for me
0: and and he's like oh uh yeah you know what let's find let's find slippy and then he gets a call and uh they both go to pick it up and it turns out that slippy is on the phone and he actually called them for the first time in three days so they're both up and they're like oh my god and at this point we see slippy's picture in the yearbook fade off the page and then there's nothing there in that spot. So, we have our confirmation that the universe is now removing Slippy out of existence. So, Chris is like, "Oh, d- just stay where you are. We're going to go find you." And then he hangs up and he tells uh Elaine like, "Hey, you know, I'm going to go find Slippy. Uh you stay here. Hold down the fort. Make sure that I don't know the couch stays warm I, I don't know he basically gives an excuse to have her stay and uh he goes over to where Slippy is and it turns out that he's in his old workplace and he opens the door uh, Chris opens the door and he's like God, Slippy, we've been looking for you. And Slippy is just sitting there on the desk and he looks like he hasn't slept in days. And basically the best way I can I can describe it is a, a less dramatic version of Spongebob after the learning uh, the fancy etiquette from the, the Squillium restaurant one where he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it, Squidward. That's basically how Slippy looks. Just completely sleep deprived and disheveled and just he looks like he hasn't slept a a wink in three days. So he gives this spiel to uh, Chris and he's like, hey, uh, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Take a look at my drawings that I did. Uh, you see this? This is this is a picture of a baby. This is a man at his beginning, his his history. And here, he opens up like two pages later, here's a picture of a man and his future. And it, it's an older man. And then a man in his present. And he shows a picture of himself. It's the same portrait that we saw him drawing in the beginning of the episode. And Chris is like, what are you doing? You're scaring me. And... <laughs> He tells him that if you lose your future and your past and your your present ceases to be. And I knew that I I first thought that you guys were doing something to to pull a fast one over me. But I realize this is this is much bigger than that. This is bigger than all of us. And Chris is just standing there and he's like, you know, your wife is cooking food. Why don't you come back home and you get something to eat? It's a dinner you'll never forget. And so Slippy's like, again, I I am disappearing, man, and because I have no f- past or uh, future, I can't exist in the present anymore. So check out the reflection. When you look in the reflection, for me, it's getting more and more one-dimensional. And he he backs up, and he's he's backed up into a shadow of a window. That's the blinds are partially open, so it's casting bars on him, bars of light and bars of shadow. And he's standing there, and he's giving the spiel. And he, as he's talking about the mirror part, he's slowly darkening. And then when he says, like, until eventually the mirror no longer shows a reflection at all. And oh like God, it was
1: so. Good at all.
0: And if you couldn't catch the last part, neither could we. Yeah, it so... was
1: like impossible to <laughs> tell what the heck he was saying there. Yeah,
0: but at that point he's completely disappeared. He just. Just gone, you know, just dust in the wind.
1: But Yeah, it's like this whole monologue. It is about, a monologue about okay. Now, it's it's hard to actually tell what he's saying half the time. Like it is kind of jumbled, but he's basically saying that there's forces outside of his control that are influencing time. Oh, Yeah, and
0: he's slipping through the cracks of reality. Yeah,
1: because he didn't make enough connections <laughs> that can no longer remain in time, and then. He keeps keeps going on about these forces beyond his control up until he disappears. Actually
0: disappears. And then Chris breaks the mirror. And then, flash forward, Chris arrives at Rick's house. Or, you know, uh, Slippy. (laughs) And he's trying to tell Elaine, Hey, uh, Elaine, uh, sorry about the news about your husband. He kind of died or, like, disappeared. Maybe he's in, like, the Shadowlands. I don't know where he is. And
1: Ooh, it's important to note when he comes in there because of that hideous picture that's yes. just right there on the bars it's no longer there
0: it's not the it, it's not a wedding photo
1: yeah it's a picture of Elaine in a graduation gown
0: mm-hmm. and he's like "Elaine, where are you?" and she walks in and she's in a nice outfit and she's like, "Oh, there you are. Uh, do you still have the tickets to the game?" And was like, "What?" So she's like yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't get Rick back. I don't know where he went. He just kind of s- slipped through the cracks, and you know, his his, his reflection became one dimensional. I don't know. I couldn't find him. And she's like, "Who's Rick?" And he's like, "Oh." And so she's like, "Who's this Rick person?" And he's like, "I don't remember." Like, <laughs>
1: and she's like, "Good. I don't care." Good. I care. <laughs> he's like, Me
0: either. And then they kiss.
1: The end. <laughs> no, not quite not the, the end. end.
0: Because we close on the door opening and closing with no one there, Hoo-hoo. and that, my friends, is the ending of the episode. Cue credits, close. We get the the credits going, and we get our narrator, and that is where it ends.
1: Wait, we don't get a narrator.
0: No, yeah, we do. No, yeah, we we Was always we always we always cut off, after the credits, but we. We normally stop at the credits, but at midpoint during the credits, there is a narrator who pops up and says, oh, the dark side, yada, yada, And uh, What does he
1: say? Because uh, I don't it, think I've it, literally it. ever watched to the very end of the credits. <laughs> like, ever.
0: He he gives a spiel about the dark side and like, oh, beware, because you'll never know when you'll enter the dark side. I straight
1: up have literally Something along the lines that.
0: of that. Again, I've not watched, I haven't, I've watched I haven't this listened. entire
1: series and several episodes more than once, and I have never, ever watched the end of the, the The second the credits are rolling, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't watch to the end but of the there, credits. But there
0: is narration at the credits. And And, oh. uh, yeah, because I've sat through the credits sure. before. <laughs> Again, if you're like us, you'll never notice it, but it's there. That's why you always stick around all the way through the credits. Hint, okay, hint. you never know when there's going to be something at the end.
1: Nudge, nudge. <laughs>
0: so that was the episode. <laughs> So, Valina, what did you think about this episode?
1: It's (laughs) (laughs) alright.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't think I could have said it better myself. It's one of those episodes that's not super great, but it's not bad. Like, I mean, it's a little bad, but not like (laughs) a lot of bad, you know? Like, there there are some bad episodes, but this just isn't one of them.
1: Yeah, it has pretty good acting, for one. All the actors do a pretty good job portraying what they need to portray. I mean, they're all pretty good actors. The girl who plays Elaine, um, Carrie Armstrong, won Best Actress in Le- uh, Lantana and in Sea Change. Now, right. I've not watched either of those shows, so I can't tell you how good she was in them, but clearly she was good enough to win Best Actress in both. So, you mm-hmm. know, she's forced to be reckoned with when it comes to acting. And the friend, Chris... He actually was on Broadway. He was in several shows, mm. not necessarily as leads, but I mean, he's in Broadway. Like, I you don't mean, need that, to be a lead a to testament. be impressive. That's yeah. a
0: testament to quality there.
1: And of course, I gave a lot of examples of where Slippy. David Patrick Kelly has been as like main villains in several of those things. So he's mm. done pretty well as well. So these are pretty good actors here. I mean, I would say the production value was pretty good. Yeah. There's some pretty good shots in this episode. There yeah, the several... fading
0: away shot is a pretty good Yeah.
1: One. There were several different sets. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I always take that into account for like it's the production. Out of here. If we're if it's taking place in like multiple rooms. I mean, not to like diss something like the odds, but that took place in the same exact spot. They did not mm-hmm. even change up the shot that much. Like it was always in the booth and the only other shot you ever got was the bar and that's like from view of the booth so it was always in the same spot like i like that episode of course but you kind of you can
0: feel it yeah you, you can, can, can kind of feel, feel that
1: they didn't have a whole lot of money for that episode yeah. uh and this one it does not actually feel like that other than that the portrait that it being like hanging on the bar. like blue that blue tack yeah that feels oddly cheap to me they couldn't just put that somewhere else and get make an excuse for you to see it like on one of the actual walls. Hanging it there is just a real quick way of you seeing that it's there, mm-hmm. even though it makes no sense for it to be there. It does kind of cheapen the episode up a little bit, but <laughs> otherwise, I mean, the whole episode feels kind of good.
0: Now, do you think, and this was a big part of the reason why we did or did not enjoy this episode, do you think that this episode handles the slipping out of reality aspect of this episode no. well? Do you think that handles that at it- all?
1: <laughs> It kind of does. You see, the biggest problem with that, and this is the bigger problem on the first watch, and not so much on later watches, that he keeps going on and on about forces outside of control, and that he didn't have these connections made, and that's why he's slipping out. And (laughs) I feel like now I don't know the name of the episode, but I believe it is a Twilight Zone episode. It could be Alfred Hitchcock
0: thriller It could Could be be another black and white. Yeah, some black and
1: white anthology series has this episode where this man, he just goes about his life as mildly as humanly possible. He doesn't do really anything. Living on
0: autopilot, as some might say.
1: Yeah, and he just starts like in this episode slipping out of reality. People stop seeing him. Like no one can see him anymore. People can't hear him, and he realizes he's actually turning invisible. Like he's actually slipping out of reality, and he starts panicking. And at the end, he's like, well, you know what? I'm going to do something that I really have always wanted to do, but I've never wanted to stand house. I would never do it. And it's that on his way to work, he walks to work. He passes by these two giant lion statues that basically guard this library. And childishly, he wants to climb on top of the lion. I mean, who doesn't though? I mean, yeah. I gotta say, I I'm saying childishly, but that's the reason why he doesn't want to do it, right? Like, oh, that's too childish. People think I'm a freak if I climb on that. But he's turning invisible. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna freaking die anyway. I might as well. And he does. And then suddenly, people start looking at him, and they're like, "What are you doing up there?" He's like, "I want to climb this. I saw this line here, and I'm saying, you know what?" A dog. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> <Guess> please. <he>. Stop. <laughs> that's our dog. He's barking, and it brings him back, right? Just grounds like, in
0: reality again
1: yeah because he's finally taken charge of his own life so in this episode when our main character keeps talking about how forces is beyond his control of pulling him be- have pulled him out of reality he's not made enough connections he's wrong he literally mm-hmm. has made a bunch of connections he has a wife he has a best friend he has a job that he works at and he has a job he's trying to he's trying to get a better job so he's got several connections and i thought that was a, a problem the first time i watched this episode that no he's actually completely wrong in his monologue that takes like five whole minutes for him to get through like he's wrong but on the rewatch i realized that he's not necessarily wrong i mean he he literally is wrong but it's not that the episode is wrong it's in his character to push away responsibility for this and you see bits of this all throughout when he has chris say, oh, I already got the call for that job, but I'll wait until we celebrate together. It's, for us, the viewers, it shows us how much Chris loves Richard. He wants to spend that time, he wants to celebrate with him. He doesn't want to mm-hmm. celebrate without him. He And he's also assured that he'll have the job too. So he kind of proves his friendship to us by waiting for him. And that's not how Richard takes it though. He's jealous. And you see that later when he explodes at his wife. Mm-hmm. And he does the same thing with his wife. Oh, you always loved him. And even on the phone, slightly suggesting what if there was another man. Like, he's very insecure about these things. And this is where the whole connections is where he's kind of correct, but also wrong, right? He does have connections, but he's seeing the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So he takes the reality as it is, which is that his friend loves him, which is that his wife loves him. And he's replacing it with something very insecure. He says, my friend is trying to take my wife. My wife doesn't love me. She just wants to be married to the rising star, the one who's getting more money, et cetera, et cetera. These are things that we, the viewers, know is fake. And we know these are false accusations. We have seen how they behave, and we know that they're sincere. But he does not. He sees this horrible reality where these people are conspiring against him. And the same thing with his mom, sort of... The second he marries his wife, he doesn't see his mom, like, again. That's Mm. what he sort of implies when he says, it's been some time, Mom. And also what Chris implies by saying, you stole him so completely. And a similar thing happens with his high school reunion. Mm. Although he doesn't have a whole lot of insecurity shown regarding his friends from high school, he does keep... Tabs on his town. He has the newspaper from his small town sent to his house. We can keep up with them. But when he makes the phone call to his friend, what was his name, Jim or Jimmy or something? I think so. When he makes a phone call to Jim to ask why he didn't send him an invitation, he also suggests that he hadn't kept in touch with him either, a lot like his mom. Once he moved out, it was just sort of completely... disconnected Disconnected from that life. Even though he keeps up on what's happening, he doesn't reach out so that he could keep being in their lives. So he has all these connections with his mom, his friend Chris, his wife, his high school or his town and he doesn't really feel like the connection is reciprocated at all because he doesn't feel like he's reaching out enough or whatever his insecurity is because he's very insecure about these things he's Mm. insecure about his wife she can't possibly love him truly she gave up too much to be with him for i guess her to actually love him in his mind that makes sense that well i think
0: the way that he sees it is that she threw her life away for him and that she would have been happier in the long run had he not basically stole her away
1: I guess. I, to me, that shows how much she loves him, but I, he might see it as a reason why she thinks of him as a disappointment. I give up all of this for you, and you couldn't even get this job. Same thing with Chris. I could have been with him, and then he would have given me the life I wanted, even though she's living exactly how she wants. She's happy. We see this, but he doesn't. And I feel like this insecurity he has runs really deep. And I think that's why they mention that It's a Wonderful Life is his favorite movie. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, in It's a Wonderful Life, this man tries to kill himself because he thinks that the world would be better off without him. And he's saved by his guardian angel Mm -hmm. who says, basically, no, the world's a lot better with you in it. And basically, the whole movie is proving that without him, the world's actually a worse place. And I feel that for Richard... He's kind of seeing his own fantasy played out in that movie... That he he looks at himself as being so disconnected and no one loves him as much as he wants them to or or they, they actually have these negative feelings towards him and he's very afraid of that. And I feel like the movie reflects what he wishes was true. And of course it is actually true, but he doesn't know that. So when he watches that movie, he likes this man who thinks that he's better off dead being proven wrong, right? And this goes sort of further into showing what Richard's worst fear is. And it's, of course, that he is better off if he was never born. That everyone would be better off if he was never born. So ultimately, what you really discover through the course of this particular episode is his worst fears coming true. And they're a little bit more than just his worst fears. This is what he actually suspects reality is. Mm -hmm. This entire time as you see him interacting with his friends and family throughout the episode this is what he thinks is reality and now he's seeing actual physical proof of it instead of having to churn over the good things in his mind and make them negative they're coming true automatically. His best friend from high school doesn't remember him and has never talked to his wife about him. He was forgotten. But he probably already suspected or feared he was forgotten, right? He thinks that his wife is cheating on him or he fears that, right? He he makes those little sly mentions about her having another man or thinking that she would have been better with Chris. And it's slowly coming true, right? Because he was never born. So this is what ultimately happens. But these are things he thought... Before this episode began. So, before he starts literally disappearing, these are parts of the very fearful reality he already lives in. So, what's happening is not that he's slipping out of reality, not exactly. It's that the reality he's always lived with in his very fearful mind is actually becoming true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's he's... like a
0: paranoid, delusional version of reality that's becoming real.
1: Exactly. This is further underlined by the fact that he doesn't disappear entirely. He's invisible, but the door opens and closes at the end of the episode, suggesting that he's still physically present. He's just unseen by everyone. Hmm. So he isn't out of reality, right? He's literally watching everything as it's happening. So he's not out of reality, right? He's now seeing it as he believes he's always seen it, which is a ghost in his own life.
0: Hmm. So you mean to tell me that he had this episode about slippage and slipping out of reality, he didn't actually slip?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because in his monologue, he mentions about the lack of control that he has. That these forces outside of my control, he has just randomly chosen me to slip out of reality. Uh <laughs> But it wasn't really random and it wasn't really out of its control. It wasn't something else doing it. It was really just him believing in it so hard that he himself brought it into existence. He pushed himself out of his own life. And I feel like this kind of horrifically speaks to perhaps anxiety just in general about your own life and just insecurity and how, how damaging it can be to your life. Because that can be really hard. Living with anxiety and believing kind of that everyone must think the worst of you at all times and needing that constant reassurance, like from his wife, telling him there is no other man, there's only you. And even still, it's just not enough for him. He still believes she loves Chris more. And it's just in this episode, and this is what I think too, that the there is an inciting event. I think that considering that he's lived with this fear for so long... That not getting that job pushed him over the edge. Okay. You know, that they didn't get any of his stuff. And now I don't know if them losing his portfolio is part of the slippage or if that is what caused the slippage. But either way, him not getting that job is kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back the thing that makes him feel just the absolute worst and makes things crumble around him to where he believes that this is the reality he lives in now and he to the point where he forces it into being.
0: Hmm. Well, Valina, since we haven't quite rated it yet, where would you place this on your five star rating system?
1: You know, I had originally given this a pretty low score Originally, when I first watched it, I'm like, oh, this is like a two and a half stars, easy. Mm -hmm. But it is actually a lot better than that. The acting is really good. The ideas behind it were really good. And you know what? After giving it more thought and viewing what the character says and how he is incorrect about how things are occurring as not a narrative problem but a character problem it's really jumped it up for me so i'm gonna mm-hmm. say this is probably a three and a half star episode for
0: me. nice yes that's definitely an increase from where i remember it being which is like two star yeah. roughly
1: yeah but really digging into it and I don't like episodes like this where you dig into it more and that's where you actually realize the cleverness of an episode or actually this was written really well and of course there's certain things that aren't so great about this episode. I think that, and this was the problem with, of course, the first watch through, that his his monologue about what he believes to be causing this is very rambling, and it does make it sound as though the episode itself is trying to tell you that, oh, this is the actual reason, when really, he's, an un- he's unreliable. He's a very unreliable narrator. So even though he's saying all this, because we've come to expect from episodes that when character comes across the answer that you're supposed to take them at their word. That this is the answer. And, of course, that's on us for taking this guy as the actual truth when really he's he's completely wrong mm-hmm. for thinking that this is a writing or narrative issue when it really isn't. But it, it does make it a little confusing just because his own words feel really, really rambling. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is excusable for him. I mean, he's not in a good mental space, so it it does make sense, but I actually couldn't even hear what he said in the last part of his monologue, which is not good at all. There's actually several points in this where I can't actually understand what some characters are saying. Like, I don't know if they're mumbling it or the audio just didn't quite pick up what they were saying, but it it doesn't really help it that much. And I feel like, and this is probably the more important part of why it doesn't quite reach, like, a four-star level for me, is that it... <sighs> It's not very scary, you know? Yeah. The focus is a lot on this guy's relationships, of course, but because you're kind of following the wrong thread, thinking that there's a, an outer cause when there really isn't. It's a very inner cause. You feel like you're on this wild goose chase, and he's actually missing for a small chunk of the episode, so you're not even following him anymore. You end up following his friend. And wife. And wife it it feels a bit weird like it loses focus a little bit so when you end up finding him again at the end of the episode he's reached all these conclusions that make sense to him but you weren't there for them so you feel lost and that's why it comes off as oh these are the answers we didn't we didn't see him arrive to them so he must have just been given these answers by the director or the writer or whatever but really if we had followed him this whole time he could have come across this we might have either thought okay it is clearly all in his head not the I mean the episode but these ideas he just made them up he didn't find them because that's the feeling you get Chris comes and sees him in the office drawing pictures of himself monologuing about time and outer forces and stuff it makes you think he found something that gave him these answers when he didn't he just sat in the office like, feeling miserable and bad for himself, and then comes across this just thought that, oh, I'm just in not in control of my life, and it's always been this way, and now I'm finally being kicked out of life. It, it gives you a different impression that I think was maybe the intention.
0: Yeah, like he's been in, basically in, in, like, MMO type of terms. He's been inactive so long they booted him off the server. <laughs> yes. Basically. That's
1: literally what happens. <laughs> Except, of course... That's only in his head. He has a perfectly connected life. He just refuses to see it. But Mm -hmm. anyway, it's still a good episode, I think. You know, not quite there at really good, but slightly above average. Yeah. I I think the issues are definitely bounced out with the good ideas in it. Even if they weren't executed all that well, those Mm -hmm. ideas are really rich there. And, of course, the second viewing makes me appreciate them much more, particularly from a character introspective piece, kind of Mm. because it really is about the character himself and kind of figuring out who he is as opposed to necessarily what's happening to him although that is the whole plot what's happening to him right and him Mm. having to accept it which he he doesn't accept it (laughs) he invents reasons but that's not even it
0: so Valina what's our next episode
1: our next episode is probably one of the best of this season it's Also, the inspiration, I guess, for the box cover art on our DVD set.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's called Inside the Closet. (laughs) It is about this college student who rents a room from this really creepy guy who is not, but looks like Count Dooku. And she discovers that something's scratching at the uh, locked closet door in her little room.
0: This little closet door that's like two or three feet tall.
1: Yeah, it's a tiny, tiny little closet door. Almost like a crawl space door or something like that. So it's a really good episode. It's truly scary. This feels like a miniature horror movie. Mm -hmm. It is straight up a miniature horror movie. It's 20 minutes long, but it is good. It packs a real punch. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to talk about it. Mm
0: -hmm. So where can you find us if you want to talk to us?
1: Well, if you want to talk to us, you can email us at ThisHousePodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram at ThisHousePodcast.
0: Please find us on iTunes, rate our episodes and series, and review us, please. Please. All right. So I think that about brings us to the end of the episode. So, listeners, before we disappear, get Get out out of our house.